Thank you once again uh, for coming back to Mental Health Bar, watching us. Uh, this week, me, Chris Purchase Green, has uh, the wonderful actor Rufus Hound with me. Thank you very much for joining me, Rufus. Thank you for inviting me for this long-standing commitment to be on the MHB. Yeah, yeah, it has. I mean, this, we've had this in the diary for what months, years, two thousand. Has it? Had it? Had, had the? Had had it been the millennium? I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure. I think we were talking about this and we were like, if the bug happens, we won't be able to record this. That's what yeah, I think yeah. was the main problem. Yeah, that was that was our concern, was that we wanted to leave enough time to <laughs> to get over the Millennium bug striking. That was it. I, I, I couldn't hire a tech who would be able to do it. They were all booked out. That was the problem. We, we allowed for the fact that the Millennium bug might act like an EPG. And so it was that we would have to both mine our own iron yeah. and then magnetize it in order to make the tape that would eventually become this podcast. But I think, weirdly, we could have then just brought that date forward. We could have done. I mean, all that training for nothing, all those, but all the mining. <laughs> I've, yeah. I've still got all that yeah. iron. <laughs> Looking back. I mean, that was a big commitment. We we bought that mine together. <laughs> we got that mine, and then a bloody Elon Musk bought it off us. That oh. bastard. bastard. I still say what he said about you was unfair. <laughs> <laughs> I know, mate. I don't know what he's got. A pro he's got a problem with gingers. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's against <laughs> for you. I'm only. A New Zealand comic called Chris Brain, who had one of the best lines I've ever heard in my life, where um, a guy who'd already been spoken to in the crowd had revealed himself to be from South Africa. Anyway, Chris was doing a piece of material about doing drugs, and he said, has anyone here ever taken acid? And this guy in the front row put his hand up, <laughs> and Chris just looked at him and went, oh, the South African, tell me, did you see all colours, or was it just all black and white? Oh, my God. <laughs> One of the most incredible oh. off-the-cuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just the entire room stood and, and just knew that it had been in the presence of uh, one of the all-time great ad-libs. See, that is one of those in-the-moment things and also one of the only times where I believe the person where they say, and everybody clapped, because yeah. that is <laughs> absolute. I would have been at the back, yeah, just... I would have been, but beatbox, yeah. you know, boombox in the air, brilliant moment, mate. <laughs> John Cusack in the show, that. As, as an ex-comic who would uh, who uh, ex <laughs> would have loved that, I would have loved to have been able to have been there. And you remembered his name, so I don't know if you knew him personally anyway, but if you, if someone, if you remember a comic's name for an ad-lib, it means it's, it's, it's one of the best, <laughs> one of the best. Well, this was in the early days of us um, uh, doing stand-up. I think he'd done stand-up in New Zealand and then came here for a while and, yeah, was an absolute hooligan. Uh, we had some very fun nights together, Chris and I, and then he returned to New Zealand, where I think he's now teetotal and straight edge. Straight <laughs> teetotal and straight edge. I think, I think, yeah. I think that as Sorry, a comedian. He's very good. He's very funny. Is he still a comedian, yeah? Um, I just see him tweet, so I actually don't know. Maybe I, I think so. I mean, uh, without I mean, this is the biggest name I could possibly drop. This is one of my all-time big name drop stories. But the night that I quit doing stand-up, I slid the mic into the stand at the comedy store and walked from the stage to the dressing room. And as I did, this little monologue went off in my head of like, "Well, old son, you made it. When you started doing stand-up, you only had one dream, and that was to be able to play the store regularly." And Don Ward himself phoned you and asked you to compare New Year's Eve. You helped him out the last minute. You've always done well here, and you know so many of the great stand-ups in this country like played on this stage regularly. Well done, old boy. Well done. And I walked into the dressing room, and there was Eddie Izzard. <laughs> And I couldn't believe it. He, had, he hadn't been there when I'd walked on stage. So he'd got in there. Anyway, a little bit of time goes by and I'm talking to him and I say to him, I can't tell you how bizarre this is, 
that here you are, the man who, when I started out doing stand-up, I just sound, sounded like you. I just, I grew up sounding like you. People yeah. would stop me in the street and say, you don't have to sound like Eddie Izzard. It was because I just loved you so much. I got into your pattern of thinking, your way of thinking. I, uh, you know, like I had to work out when I started doing stand-up how to not sound like I sounded in real life so that I didn't sound like you doing stand-up. Yeah. So, you know, it really brings this journey full circle, you know, because <laughs> from this point on, I'm not a stand-up anymore. And he said to me, Oh no, that's not how it works. You're always a stand-up. You're just a stand-up who's not doing stand-up. You're a stand-up doing other things, but you'll come back to it. Everyone comes back to it because you're never not one. Oh. And <laughs> this, this like curtain that was almost down, like, you know, that's all folks. For <laughs> <laughs> my life, literally, from a hero of mine was like, he, no, don't close that just yet. You know, <laughs> leave it fucked up, leave it ajar, leave it back <laughs> It's, Got it's, the key it's, it's under the amazing. rock. Eddie Izzard's left yeah. that key under the rock there for you. That's so weird because yeah. you tweeted at me the other day that you think that we're like the same person, and I had this. I had the same problem. So I'm I, I, with Eddie Izzard. Like Eddie Izzard to the point where I used to do the ooh, ooh, like not in stand up, yeah. not not before, but like in public and stuff. And I ended up doing all the mannerisms, and I even like lunge. Like even now, I can't stop lunging. And it's just because as yeah. I grew up, that was what, you know, with Glorious and all of those things, Dressed to Kill, I grew up with all that. Are we similar ages? What are we, are, am I, because I think you're younger than I me. Think, I think, I think, no, I think you're younger than me. And I think it's, that it's going to be distressing because I think you're about six years younger than me. Six years isn't that much. That's not that much. No, it's not. It's not that much, but it's enough. Are you in your, <laughs> are you in your 40s? I'm 42. Oh, you're 42. So it's not. We're only four years apart. Okay. So, and, or three years. Like in a month is three. It's like nothing, mate. You get nothing. It's practically nothing. Practically nothing. If we were in school, you would have ignored the shit out of me. That's, that's yeah, how I do. I've been doing my A-levels before you were even halfway through your GCSEs. That's so slow, mate. That's all it was. <laughs> just, just, no need to point it out. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, no, I, yeah, no, I, I agree. But uh, you say my, my wife and I—that's the same age difference my wife and I have. So it's not—I'm not. This is not me suggesting you join our throuple, but th that's we well, it's same not same. you not suggesting that quite. It's not not. It's not not suggesting. Practically <laughs> the same person. I mean, it's a weird thing <laughs> okay. to do to invite the podcast in order to eventually maneuver into a situation where it's, you and I—it's <laughs> weird, but it's not the <laughs> weirdest. I, I accidentally, once I accidentally suggested to Tom Stade that that might be a thing as well. Um, and it was, so I was a big, I was a big Tom Stade fan. Uh, and I'd got, again, it's, it's always at the comedy store. I was at the comedy store in London. And um, I, I was doing like the gong, you know, the shitty gong, which yeah, I- gong Yeah, gong Never doing it again, luckily. I'm never, I, yeah. this is the last time. And this was like seven years ago, eight years ago. Um, and I did, so I was, I was coming, like walking to the stage to like sit down and it was sitting down with Matt Richardson. Matt Richardson was also there long before either, either of us were doing anywhere close to full-time work. And um, Tom Stade walked past and me, we were like, it's Tom Stade, it's Tom Stade. Yeah. And I was, and I just like two weeks ago before that, I'd done my first Jonglers and Tom had been there. It had been Tom opening, then me, then Hal Cruttenden, <laughs> then uh, oh, I can't remember him, but he doesn't do stand up anymore. And then Tony Hendricks was closing, and Kane Brown. I mean, you've been at half time, and you've had the best of that show, haven't you? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I was like, I, I, I was glad. The thing was, I was glad that I went on after. So I went on after Tom Stayed before Hal Crandon. So I was like, because I was just doing ten, and I was like, I was yeah. so glad because otherwise I would have had. <laughs> they would have had those two, and then it's me. <laughs> and then it's, yeah. But, uh, but anyway, so Tom Tom walks down. I'm like, I'm I'm going to talk to him. You know, when you're like a bit starstruck, it's uh, we're at the comedy store anyway. A bit starstruck, I get up and I'm like, oh Tom, hello. And he's like, oh, I remember me from two weeks ago. I was in Jonglers. He was like, yeah, so so off. You know, he does he doesn't he doesn't remember me at all. But he's trying to be a nice guy. Um, and I'm like, oh yeah, I, I just want to say we didn't get a chance to speak on the night. Uh, really, you know, I really respect you. Great comic. You're actually my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, uh, favourite comedian. We really, we really like your, 
your jokes and he was like oh good thanks mate and i was like yeah and i, I, I don't know why i said it i was like sometimes you know i'll put on one of your routines to get things going and he was like all right and then he just walked off and he didn't even <laughs> i was just that but you you do when you that's our reaction like you say an off-the-cuff thing you say it your mouth's faster than your brain and i mean it's fun it, it's funny it's just we didn't know each other <laughs> so, it's so but also sometimes it's um so, sometimes you can like mine the best material out of like well i'll just say a thing and then i'll work out how i make that make sense after i've said it yeah, yeah. i'll justify <laughs> this <laughs> I, I i wrote an entire comedy special that way <laughs> yeah, over, over years of comparing, going, I suppose the next logical thing to say would be this. I wonder how that would fit into this routine. Yeah. And just basically trial and trial and error it until there was 70 minutes of it. I mean, <laughs> so. I, I genuinely think, so I had a chat with another comic called, right, so I didn't want to talk this, turn this into like a, a comics comic thing, but um, I had a chat with uh, Garrett Millerick, very good comic, and he has a technique called the bookcase where you leave your material behind you in your head on like a, a, a bookcase and you know it's there to go back to and you just pull the material out and read it off if you need to but until you need to you just keep saying things until yeah. the audience stops laughing and um, he was and this was like i was having a bit of a crisis of career like five years ago or six years ago and he was like just try this and that took my stand up from one level to an entirely new level because you just get completely out of your comfort zone but some of the stuff you come out with is just you just realize you must have been a broken individual some of the darkest yeah. evilish shit I, I've ever said. I once I mean I, I swear to god I hope nobody ever uh, I don't think there was any footage of it but I had this <laughs> I still think it's an interesting idea to play with but I mean you'll see no. where this is going in a moment right <laughs> I went to school near Aldershot. Yeah. And around Aldershot was where, well, in Aldershot was where all the squaddies trained. But quite often there'd be big punch-ups in Aldershot because where, you know, young men trained fighters and whatever, yes. you know, would go out in Aldershot and have a skinful. And it was quite renowned for that. If you went out in Aldershot, literally all of the shops had those big iron shutters that they pulled down at night. It's, you know, it's it's that kind of thing. And it was well known and widely understood to be the case in uh, in Aldershot around that time, that that was a thing, right? <laughs> but then you've got our soldiers, our boys, right? right. <laughs> our heroes. So you would both have this like help for heroes on the one hand, but also on the other hand, this idea of like batten down the hatches for fuck's sake, don't let them in. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, support our boys, but from a distance. And also that, that the advertising for the soldiers was largely <laughs> like, did you do no business at school? Are you a fucking idiot? <laughs> Everyone right, yeah. think you're a nightmare, right? Yeah. Because all the advertising for join the army and whatever is, I was going nowhere in my life. I, you know, I'd fallen off the tracks and whatever, and the army picked me up and sorted me out. So it was like, I, 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 I was trying to do this thing where on stage, the riff was basically like, I think it was around the poppy season. I'm like, you know, the greatest generation, they laid down their lives for us in two world wars. And yeah, as much as anything, it's got to make you think about our lads now, isn't it? Like, you know, with where they're serving and, and what they're going through, you know, think what you like about war and think about what you like about the politics of it. But those men and women serving overseas, I mean, they're heroes, aren't they? They're just heroes. I mean, I wouldn't want them anywhere near me, but I mean, they're absolutely heroes there. They are, no, no. And then like playing off the feel of shift in the room. I'm like, yeah, no, yeah. no, no, because I really know they're i mean they're nightmares i mean they're absolute nightmares. you you wouldn't i mean you wouldn't want one in the house but they're heroes they're here i mean obviously they're they're at, you know they're trained to kill and how can that not permanently damage your psychology and that's why so many of them end up homeless is because people just can't even bear to deal with them <laughs> heroes ladies and gentlemen heroes 
I mean, oh just as long as, they, as long as we have nothing to do with them, as long as the moment they come back, we can just ignore them. Am I right? Heroes. <laughs> and, and, and that was what I was trying to like, play with is the hypocrisy of not supporting people when they come back and, yeah. and how, how who was recruited in the first place wouldn't be these. Anyway, I mean, I've given you the version. It's cut down. But I just, I thought in a minute now it's going to break and this is going to become unbelievably funny. <laughs> and it just never did. Never did. No. And I eventually, after about three minutes of this, I literally just stopped and, and looked at the room and I went, I'm so sorry. I did thought you? this was going to turn a corner and was going to be funny. And it, it just, it, just hasn't been and please don't think that any of the things i've just said like, Jesus. like you know they really are brilliant people i've got family in the services like, you know Jesus. this is not i just thought it was oh god and it you know being on stage and and feeling not just that a piece of material hadn't gone well and oh well should i got to move on you know move to the next bit of material but just to actually need to apologize to a room full of people yeah that's, that's so <laughs> i don't know if i've I, honestly i can say i don't think i've ever apologized but i could just see you being like please don't hate me the thing i need <laughs> from this is you not to hate me it's why yeah. i do this <laughs> yeah I think there is a hypocrisy within. No, no, you get it. Fine. It's just what we can't the fuck up. Okay, I'm gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> I will leave. I did. Um, I did a bit. So, well, well, the reason I got you on was so for us to talk about Britain's addiction to alcohol. But um, I, we're just going into the whole mental health aspect of doing stand up now. Um, I was at the Manchester store trying some new stuff out on a Sunday, which is a lovely, lovely little gig, um, and. Uh, I did a bit about how they didn't film the third. They they were going to make a third Ghostbusters in China, but they didn't because it would just be ninety minutes of Bill Murray crying while he busted <laughs> little girl fetus ghosts. And um, I know, right? And that's what, and I and then I did and then I did a busting makes me feel sad mime. Um, <laughs> And 50% of the room got it. And 50% yeah. of the room wanted me to leave now. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and luckily it was new stuff. And Toby Haydock's a lovely guy. <laughs> and uh, the cob pair came on Toby. And he was like, oh, that was Chris, everyone. Thank you very much. <laughs> Mate, I mean, I I think that's a solid joke. I don't, I don't think you should ever... I thought it was I mean, a solid joke. I thought it was a solid a... joke. You're definitely a certain sort of comic if that's what you're rolling out. But mm. I don't think you're a bad comic if that's what you're rolling out. I don't think you've ever watched any of my stand-up. I am that certain type of comic. <laughs> that's the kind of oh, stuff. Well. <laughs> but, I mean, you're uh, right. I haven't. So <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't expect you to. Like, we, we were talking before this, and I we, I think it's... I, to be fair, it, I think it was I weird. Was off the, I was off the circuit by the point you were really on it, right? What's that? Sorry. What? Sorry. Say that again. I was off the circuit by the time you were really getting on it. Yeah, yeah, I've only been going since 2009. So, yeah, we, we it, and, and again, I don't think it's rude to, to say, there's, there's a certain thing where comics are like, oh yeah, sorry, I haven't seen your stuff. And uh, it, it was, oh dear. And really, at the same time, you don't see builders going like, well, you see that house I built? I'm like, no mate, I'm nowhere near Westchester. I'm nowhere near Winchester. I don't, I don't know, well, I've never seen your house, mate. Um, and you're yeah. not surgeons. Did you see that heart surgery I did three months ago? No, I've never, I'm a brain surgeon, I'm a neurosurgeon. I mostly work the neurosurgery circuit. Yeah. It's. There's no, I, I don't, I think it's, it's not rude to say that. I think it, 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 it's to not be aware of, you know, would be odd, but yeah, it's, it's, oh, the awareness is there, especially as we'd literally stood next to each other, um, like years ago and you couldn't remember it. That hurt, that hurt more than it should have. <laughs> no, it, 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 uh, no, and so. And when we got married. And when we got married. And considering both of our names were on the deed to that mine, it yeah. hurts more, <laughs> more yeah, than no, can't remember no. it. Um, yeah, so, uh, so um, no, I should have introduced the topic at the beginning, but I, 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 I have on this, 
the viewers will know I've actually I've tried not to get stand-ups on and tried not to get comics on for the very reason that you end up like this we end up chatting and we end up like having fun and uh and because we it, what I want to do is introduce a topic and today we you tweeted about Britain's addiction to alcohol uh which is how and I thought we would talk about what that is like what that is means for this country but maybe in a more humorous tone because there's two of us who do that well <laughs> and also i just fundamentally lack any expertise on this subject but i do come at it from um i've done a bit of work over the years with an organization called law enforcement against prohibition right and that is people who've worked in various um law agencies you know mi5 and uh the met uh leicestershire police um god i mean yeah throughout british you know law and order essentially yeah who have all been involved at one time or another with the war on drugs and have all as acts of conscience come forward and said how we're dealing with this is just absolutely the wrong way we're making a bad situation far far worse in treating people with drug addiction how we treat them this should absolutely be a national health issue it should be dealt with as uh yeah a, 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 a psychological issue mm. um and not you know finding people who are selling marijuana or smoking marijuana and then criminalizing them and throwing them in prison it's it's not even throwing them in prison it's that you know once you've got that criminal record then how able are you to get a job or hold down a job or get yeah. a mortgage or you know somewhere to rent so you know you you take people who's who are unhappy enough with their lives that they've decided to start using drugs <laughs> and then you create a situation in which you make their lives less and less happy yeah. and there are people who already know where to get drugs <laughs> yeah and they're all and, and then you're surprised you know, that they try to make it somewhat better in any way possible yeah. in, a, in the way they know well, sorry keep yeah going. Oh. so anyway essentially because of working with that organization um i find it, uh, there's a fascinating documentary that i was involved with as a result of working with them um which is on netflix uh i have this thing where the moment i sometimes i'm called upon to say the name of something it immediately disappears from my brain yeah, um, and it's, it, it's a it's a psychological tick of um being so terrified of saying the wrong thing that my brain just immediately hiccups i've known the name of that documentary all the way in the lead up to telling you about it but the moment i go to say the name of it gone well we'll put it in the links so, underneath we'll put it in the links yeah underneath. yeah 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 uh, uh well I, if i just don't think about it i'll remember it in two minutes so just in mind yeah but you know there the point that documentary makes is that there is now an entire industry around fighting the war on drugs that puts taxpayer money in uh private hands in private prison system in uh all of the equipment in all actually running those teams uh the buying the fact that you know the dea basically has tanks and attack helicopter and <laughs> you know Jesus. all of these things it's like another branch of the military and so people are making very very good money for there being a war on drugs mm. it keeps the prisons full it keeps uh, the need for all this additional equipment you know high um but it it exacerbates the problem it makes gangsters incredibly rich uh it increases it makes terrorists in uh various countries incredibly rich um and you know there is then kind of bigger questions to do with a how racist a lot of these policies are because it certainly does favor a white supremacist when you consider the makeup of american prisons uh i don't suggest the same is exactly true in the uk but there does seem to be a certain trend does there not yes um it's not like anything um, important yeah. happened last year surrounding that at all quite yeah um, at all yeah or indeed you know some of the questions around how we respond to you know missing women when they're white versus missing women when they're black that we've you know seen recently as a society mm -hmm. um you know the expected health outcomes through covid of uh non-white citizens you know mm. blah 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 <laughs> well, oh, yeah. you know 
racist society. <laughs> yeah. Out other racisms, you know, it's like, yes, I think if, if you're even, a, you know, of moderate intelligence by this point, you've worked out that people of colour are doing less well in society than people who aren't. But there has been a report that says that we're not racist as a society. And obviously it was the people doing the report that said that about themselves. Um, it's, thank, but, I mean, I, I got asked at the last minute to write an article in The Independent last weekend. And um, more or less the article I wrote was just like, but we live in a world where we can see the racism all around us. <laughs> Where black community leaders, one after the next, are talking about systemic racism in almost every aspect of our society. Yeah, exactly. And uh, privately educated Etonians that run the gaff release a report going, no, everything's a-okay. <laughs> Protect the statues. <laughs> and Get around that statue. Get around it. And we're meant to think, like, oh, it's fine that these governmental departments are using taxpayer money to provide, oh, well, that's an end to it then. Oh, that's good. Oh, yeah. thank God we're not racist anymore. Oh, if anything, we're the best at not being racist anymore. Oh, great. And it's it's just so staggering to be so gaslit by these people in at every turn about every last goddamn thing. Badly as well. Not even, like, well gaslit. It's just so bad. I, like, I've, I, I have experienced gaslighting, and I can say that these are novices. They're not even close to the levels of... No guilt that catholic parents will give you that's right. is, that's what they need to do uh but I, I i have given myself five stars for every edinburgh show i've ever been on and put that review in the guardian uh, and that is exactly the same thing that's what you need to do <laughs> five, five star that on every post a five star and i just uh, edinburgh fringe yeah. review first whatever combination of words same thing just that's what you need to do every single time just it's like writing your best friend as your reference on your job cv isn't it so you get them to yes yeah uh yeah keep a couple of burner phones around you know <laughs> so that people can be contacted for <laughs> just with you know tape on the back with this one is you know ben johnson from aquatech and this one is <laughs> i wish i hadn't chosen a, an accent for pierre <laughs> oh god yeah. bonjour just as we pick up yeah. just one of those um plastic shoe racks hanging on the wall with all these just... phones on chargers with photographs of like oh guess who characters yeah. taped on the back Characters. Yeah. and that's a diversity board and that is the racism <laughs> investigation yeah. board and that there is the corruption board uh bonjour yeah. just as you everything is okay everything it's the least racist um, country in the world <laughs> Mon Dieu. yeah um yeah yeah so anyway uh where was i going with all of this i think ultimately that um uh we are we 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 just live in a world where somebody can test their eyesight disobeying the rules by going for a 30 mile drive and then largely what you're told is no no that was always fine that was always fine oh your dad's gone to portugal to his home overseas oh no no that that's fine that's that that's fine and it's it's like well but we're in the middle of a pandemic yeah <laughs> so then why aren't we all wearing masks? It's what it's not. It is literally known by this point in human history that the countries, regardless of whatever testing, whatever else, but the countries that introduced masks early on have far, far lower rates of um, infection and death as a result. That the ones yeah. who went in very quickly, regardless of national lockdowns, are just masks, right? Yeah. yeah. The correlation is absolute. Yeah. Bring in masks early, death rate and catching it way down. So masks, much data. wash your hand. So much data on it that <laughs> it is fact. Yes, yeah, it's... How, how, how the fuck do we live in a world where people are going on anti-mask marches? Oh my God, don't even... So I, 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 I've never brought this up on the show because it obviously it's a, a situation that's going on at the moment and we're all very passionate about it. But there's bloody, even now... There's stickers. Someone's going around my town sticking up stickers with no more lockdown. I'm like, mate, they're in the pubs. 
what do you mean yeah. no more lockdown uh, this, this yeah. couldn't be less lockdown unless we were licking each other's eyes how much more what do you mean no more lockdown you, and Lawrence Fox going on his bloody anti-mask march two weeks before we come out you're like mate just wear it on your face you don't, yeah you don't get your dick out in Tesco's that's the problem no <laughs> well you might not but you know no, maybe you're talking about I don't, I don't want to bring that up again I know that it's still a fresh wound <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah it's it's um i mean maybe this uh this ties around more to mental health than what we were uh, talking about but it's yeah it's i think you know it's that during all of this that has been so staggering is it, it one of the great guiding principles in my life has always been this thought I had when I was 15 at school. We were reading about the Nazis and you learn about it all obviously in hindsight. Yeah. So when she said about 6 million Jews had died in the Holocaust and that the rise of fascism, you know, uh, who else were put in the internment camps were, um, you know, black people and as we called them at the time, gypsies. I, I, I'm only not using the right parlance for it now because I don't know if that does refer to something specific and that, yeah. that's who's been punished, but uh, that's what I was taught at the time. Uh, apologies if that isn't the right nomenclature for uh, uh, what that was. Um, but, but I remember at the time, at age 15, thinking, why didn't they all run? Like, right. they, they must have seen it coming. Yeah. Like, just get the fuck out of there. Yeah. But, and, and, and that sense in which, like, why were, why didn't you have your eyes open? Why didn't you get out of there? And my history teacher saying, because it, that, that isn't how the world works, really. These no. things happen more insidiously. And it's one thing for you to see all of those things laid out one after the next on a page and go, my God, all the signs were there. Yeah. It's something entirely different to be living it and just be drip, 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 drip every day. And before you know it, like, shit, everything changed. Just a bit. The and thing is that some changes, so you say it's insidious, and some changes, this is the problem with it, is that some changes are good and some changes are bad. And that's how it happens. It's where you say, like, people like Donald Trump being thrown off Twitter... Yes, that is just hate speech. Like, random hate speech is not great. But then people conflate that with telling jokes on Twitter. And you're like, no, that that's... People can tell jokes. They just can't hate people. And people are like, yeah, but they're the same thing. And the government is like, that's yeah. the same thing. And you're like, it's, these are not the same thing. And because they're conflating them together... And it, that's, that's... I mean, I suppose that that is expert gaslighting, actually. Is what well, I mean, now that we now that we've come to the uh, understanding that I haven't seen you perform, but you are the type of man that would tell a joke about um, ghost fetuses. Um, <laughs> I, I, the thing that really troubles me and does feel like has kind of fundamentally changed over the last uh, six, seven years is that. There's no respect for jokes. Mm. Yes. People, people, people think. We have been told by people who don't get jokes that jokes are bad. Yes. Yes. But actually, jokes are how a vast number of us deal with the horror of being alive. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so the fact that you don't get the joke. And now I'm not allowed to make the joke, but ha making that joke is the one thing that stops me from increasingly wanting to rip my own brain out of my head, <laughs> is you're telling me that my coping mechanism isn't allowed. But actually, my coping mechanism is finely tuned. I'm, this isn't mental illness. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going mad. I'm, I'm sane. I am yeah. the one looking around and going, since the age of austerity in 2008, the rich got richer. Mm. The, 
the changes that have been inflicted on the health service are not as a result of there being less money in the system. There's just less money in our in the in the pockets of the ninety nine percent that there that there should be for us to pay our taxes to earn better money to pay our taxes to keep the system afloat. That that money's not disappeared. That's been taken. That that anguish of being able to know that as a fact and for it just to not be put front and centre in our national conversation about how we govern ourselves and how we organise ourselves as a society. That terror of the fact that I've grown up in a generation where we just took the NHS for granted. If you're sick, you just go to the doctor. But that very quickly, we're going to find ourselves in a situation where that isn't around anymore. No, really quickly. I'll give you an example. A friend of mine trying to get a GP appointment. They've had three phone calls and now they have an appointment to make an appointment. And I said to them, you know, there's this app now where for 35 quid, you can video call a GP and it'll happen on the day. And it's like, and there you go. At the moment I thought it, I was like, yeah. oh, that's uh, how they've that's, done it. That's how they've done it. Yeah, that's what, what you've done. What you're doing there is you've got, it's just because it's easier. And it's not, again, it's not your fault or no one's, that's how it is. It's that or the other way. You either have to never see a GP or you can, it's 35 quid. It's very easy to yeah. fix it that way around. Yeah. yeah and then we said, okay, so it's 35 quid, but actually, do you know something? We're going to have to, um, uh, <laughs> very good, very stealthy. Yeah, sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> right, <Terry. Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Dexterity <laughs> check. You got away with it, I could just see the bag sliding yeah, away. Just, it's, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about Ghostbusters. I, I feel there's a force somewhere in the <laughs> in the room. Are you, uh, are you doing what the walk we've just done, but more rapidly? All right. All right. See you later. No, that's right. I'm still podcasting. It's all right. Yeah. Will you, you will you edit this out, Chris? No, we don't edit. I don't. I don't edit. So no, edit. I can if you want, but we don't edit. <laughs> You want to end on a song or anything? <laughs> <laughs> just a big number. It's just real life happening in the background. It's just that kind of thing. It's good for the people at home to see you as a real person, Rufus, after everything. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because I, I'm so grand otherwise. So yeah. <laughs> me and my ivory tower. It was the mine owning. That's the problem. Yes, it? I think. <laughs> well, we've all moved on. <laughs> um, no. Yeah, uh, I think, I think, it's that thing about um, people who don't get jokes, mm. who don't understand that actually a joke is an expression of there is a thing, there is a concept that has power. Yeah. And I just want to kick the ass of, the, of whatever that thing is. Yeah. And that, and sometimes that isn't kicking up, actually. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it is kicking down. But on the whole, whether you're kicking up or down, the the number of times you kick up or down will define whether you're an arsehole or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, it's not just that as well. Sorry, it's like you can make a performance, and in it there are ups and downs. It's one it's one joke, but it's a long bit, five minutes say or three minutes, and you have different parts of the joke, and they all add to the eventual punchline, and the eventual punchline is up. But some of those bits are going to be. They're going to be dark. They're going to take you to places that you need because you need to go yeah. there in order to clarify the point at the end. I saw this because I've always had trouble justifying it because I've always been a dark comedian. For those people, my audience will know some of my jokes, but one of them is about my family and it goes, um, I grew up in a religious household. My dad's a lot like Jesus, except he turns red wine into domestic violence. And that was one of, that's what we're talking about when I, and it's from my personal life experience and this and I was always people were always like why can you tell a joke like that but I can't tell a joke about how bad Chinese people are at driving and I'd be like I don't know why you think these are the same thing are you Chinese <laughs> she, no yeah. it, and, they, and they'd always be like oh it's gallows humor I'd be like well I, I have never seen that gallow <laughs> that, that has the, the Chinese driver but also, someone pointed out that gallows humour is if you're on the, on the noose, being executed, you have every right 
to make the joke about the execution. If you're in right. the audience watching, you're part of the execution. You make the joke. Yeah. And I was like, that's a really good way of putting it. That's a real that that defines the parameters of it better than I've ever seen with the punch. I've always thought punching up and punching down is hard because you've got working class people uh, for like a lot of working class white people don't identify with Black Lives Matter because they're like, hey, I don't feel like I've ever been privileged. I, you know, lived on beans. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. But then again, I mean, that, unfortunately, I'm a simplist. So the moment you start saying that, I'm like, right. So we just get right back to it. Who you are should be met with kindness by <laughs> kindness. the world. Well, we haven't said that on here yet. We haven't said that on the record. We oh, said that before. But... Yeah. So oh, I don't know. It's all right. We just it's because it's because we had a big chat before. Um, it just blurs the line, Rufus. It's the sign of a good conversation. Um, it's where I'm, I'm not a very good conversationalist. Um, I don't think comics are. I think that we're too busy waiting to get our next point in, which is just why it's better when it's two comics talking at each other. <laughs> yeah, often true. Um, also, I think, uh, I don't know how true you find this, but um, comics absolutely abysmal at small talk. Yes. Awful. I do not give a fuck about your wife and kids. No, I do not care. And blunt about <laughs> your, it as well. Or your car, none of it matters. But I want to know your most embarrassing sexual experience. I want to know about the time that, you know, your, your mum accidentally shat on you. Yeah. I, like, uh, these are the only stories that matter. Everything else is just ephemera. I am. Or uh, I ha lockdown has made me worse at it because I haven't been like I will immediately overshare because I haven't had the audiences that I'm used to. Uh, uh, yeah. But and also streaming has made that worse because I have an audience of my own followers who already know all the stories. So I go straight in with something. Today we were talking about uh, we were talking about um, crying. So the first thing you start with, like we're opening a stream to the public. Anyone can watch. Not the, not here, but on live and i'm like right so i cry at things all the time i love a good cry i cry here I cry and obviously to most norm like normal men normal men i say that that's a quite a weird subject for another man to start talking about you know if someone's coming in yeah. and they're there like going i want to watch a stream on Fortnite," and i'm like have you ever cried at married single other it's just not a <laughs> it's not a thing <laughs> The cancer, no. the, the bit that where she gets cancer, you know, it's just, but yeah, so I, I agree. We're awful at small talk. The first thing we want to say is something interesting and we want to finish on something even more interesting. And that means, <laughs> <laughs> it's true, right? That's true. And you don't want any other filler in between. You don't want to be like, I don't give a... I realise the number of times in conversation that as I'm about to say my last word, I rock back on my back foot in conversation with people because i'm gonna because i'm gonna land this last word and then i'm gonna walk <laughs> and i am timing it even worse is even worse is when you embellish normal stories <laughs> like you've got and we all do it but you because i'm i before i was a stand-up i was like never lie a hundred percent never lie and i still stick to that yeah. don't lie but i do embellish a lot like you'll tell a story and it'll be like this would be better if there was this twist yeah <laughs> yeah that's Didn't certainly happen. true i think um I, i'm trying to remember i think there is a famous quote of what i'm about to say where it's going to be put far more elegantly but that um there's um People, people who want to know things read facts and people who want to understand things read fiction. Oh, and yes, I've recently read that. It's basically that there's more, I, I've even phrased that not quite right. It's basically that there's more truth in fiction because when you can actually go, this is what it was like and not worry about all of the facts, you actually give a, a much better... I don't know. Do you know where? Do you understand where I'm? I understand where you're coming from. 
when you embellish a story sometimes you're giving a far more truthful account of what of of the thing itself yeah the essential nature of the thing you're adding like the feeling to it which i don't which the facts take away so you're adding all yeah, of the atmosphere and you're adding the ambience and you're adding the moment whereas with facts they're just present i like i'm a big fan of facts let's not look straight i'm about to I'm, we're do, making a video here rufus let's not me going on going i hate facts fuck them i don't want that to yeah. be on my gravestone oh, um my my only point is we live in a world where we no longer have facts post fact live in a post fact <laughs> It's, we are a post-fact civilization. Most entertaining um, headline. No, I'm a big, Sorry, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of objective truth. <laughs> if that's what, <laughs> if, if if we need to clarify that in 2021, no, um, we don't need that. Yes, I, uh, I like facts. We like facts, but I think, it, like, yeah, we both like facts. We're both kind of we, the, the our uh, online relationship that don't make it rude um, started with you sharing a documentary. <laughs> which one am I? Which one am I? Which one am I? And you know which one you are. <laughs> I'm the guy holding the camera. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the car, hog kid, get out of the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm never the I'm never the fund it. <laughs> That's the thing. I'm always the... Do you think that mine was, by the way? I was meant we generate electricity. Oh, you're that the oil, and I'm the. But uh, anyway, <laughs> you're on the on the magnet. Is that what you... Yeah, I, I immediately thought. Hang on, is it that the copper's wrapped around a magnet and then the steel's in the middle, or is it still got the copper wrapped around it and the magnet goes up and down around the outside? So and I used to know... steel in the middle, copper thing, run a current through it. That's... And then the more I was holding my hands like that, the more obscene I thought that mime thing felt. <laughs> I'm just glad that you <laughs> went finger. I went, I'm glad you went finger and not full Kermit the Frog. I'm really glad that you, <laughs> you did it. It's not easy being green. It's, it's, it's just, I literally have. This is the first time I've worn green on this show because we got rid of the green screen so I could finally do it without looking like max headroom so it's nice yeah, yeah. Um, um but so right post-truth let's we've got mental health show <laughs> we were going to talk about alcohol that's gone uh we were going to we were talked a bit about addiction i am i'm doing my level best to keep you off topic i'm so sorry you, that's fine I, I to be fair this show has always had a very fly by the seat of our pants theme to it and it's oh, more good. about the people who are on the show and bring in and how they've experienced because like we were to, i said before the show you're you've been a comedian you're an actor um and a lot of other things writer and all those things and notoriously those entertainment based jobs come with a full set of mental health problems or mental health issues have you suffered from any that you'd be comfortable talking with about here and if so how have you coped with them um, well, so, I mean, I, um, I think it's probably fair to say that the setup, the mental setup one largely has <laughs> in order to be a performer of one kind or another, uh, flies in the face of what one might call, um, mental ease health <laughs> stability yeah it's uh just you know just being able to get on with shit and you know taking things relatively lightly applying oneself in a straightforward organized and diligent manner in order for everything just to be a-okay is not really the character type that i have found in the, in those people who uh, specifically came through stand-up i do actually see a bit more of it in the wider entertainment community um so they like themselves a bit actors, more uh well i think actors are probably i think the thing with comedians is that there's there is an assertion of oneself in the business of being a comedian yeah. whereas as an actor you You're demonstrating a talent at doing something 
but and and receiving gratification for your talent at doing that thing um but that the, but it isn't it doesn't come from the same place like when i'm when i'm on stage in a play my journey to my first line or you know, to my first moment of being on stage is and now here i am someone else <laughs> you know here i am um apprentice here i am constant here i am um sancho panza and this is my world and uh, now i have to be in this in in the world that i am in and i know who i am and yeah. i know how to be Moscow's bit grand yeah but yeah that's it it's it's like and now i have become someone else and mm -hmm. yes i still have this thing in my head where i've got to know that i stand in this place and i do this thing it's not that i'm unaware of what comes next but i'm just absolutely in each moment and i am the character that i am playing in that moment that is the skill of being an actor when i'm on stage as me i'm like fuck 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 things are funny to say <laughs> quickly these i need them to Quick. like me i need them to like me <laughs> they laughed a lot at the thing you did before the, the thing you just did so think of something as funny as the thing you did before the thing you just said you fucking idiot quick <laughs> do another one do another one yeah i think i think it comes yeah. from pat noswell put it really well in that uh he, he said that stand-ups were the most fucked up because uh, people say that if you've got daddy issues, you'll be a stripper. But being a stand-up is m more fucked up because strippers show you their genitals, whereas stand-ups just talk about it. So it's, if someone came out and said, if a, if someone comes out and goes, ah, da -da, takes off their clothes, that's normal. Whereas if I just came out here to, and described my penis to you, it's so much more fucked up. No, I'm going to disagree with Pat Oswald on that. I am. Because I think, I think that once you actually show your genitals, then you're a stripper. Right. Like, <laughs> from that point onwards, you just go, well, that is a thing I have done. And, and look, um, uh, I have been friends with uh, people who've worked in burlesque more than straight up strippers. That's only I only make the difference because that is how they have described themselves to me, not because of anything I would put on them. But I have been friends with people who've worked in burlesque and they were largely untroubled by their uh, work in burlesque. I've also been friends with people who've worked in porn and they were not overly troubled by a lot of the work they've done in porn but it was definitely a different yeah. you know thing yeah. that they carried with them right yeah. yeah so you know sex work is work um yes i'm not uh, and again this comes with no moral or <laughs> judgment from no, me no. at all no um but i think that once you've actually got your dick out then there's no coming back from that. You, you think that's the like, be all and end all? Well, no, no. I think that the. I think that there is a thing. No, I don't think that's the be all and end all. I think it is about debasing oneself. Right. And I think, and a lot of it is societal judgment, you know, totally. Yeah. But I think once you have. Once you've sucked a cock for money, you are somebody who has sucked a cock for money. That, I mean, fair enough. But it, I mean, obviously right? there's a lot of different situations surrounding that. Hey, hey, again, I really am trying to emotionally- I know you are, I know you are. Don't think of that. <laughs> think, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I know that you're, you're, you're like, holy shit, holy shit. No, don't worry, no, no. We're, we're fine. If we're you're out there good. sucking cock for money, you and me are still friends, you know. Yeah, yeah, no judgment on that. Yeah. I'm just saying that it seems to be that once people go down that path, there comes a point where that path largely leads to people feeling debased. Yes. Now, maybe yeah. you suck 10 cocks for money in your entire life, and every time you suck a cock for money, you get a hundred thousand pounds 
right? Yeah. And you retire and you live your life. You suck 10 cocks and now you live in a castle and you, you know, from that point onwards in your life, you never think again about it. Like, whoop de do. There, I would be delighted to know that that was regularly the case. I would love to know that most of our landed gentry got there through somebody at some point sucking enough cock that they were the baron of here, there or anywhere. Like, all of that, fine. I'm just saying it doesn't seem to be on the whole that that is the pattern and that the people who do end up feeling uh, othered and diminished and debased often exist on that kind of sex work spectrum and there are all sorts of reasons why that would be better if it were not the case and if we uh, looked after people and respected sex workers work yeah but it just does seem to be the case and i only make this distinction because in Patton's example i think that once you reach that point of debasement you you kind of go oh that is part of who I am now. Now you can recover, you can repair, you can rehab, right? You can rebuild. Yeah. But you get to that point. Whereas a stand-up, I think you just pick the scab and pick the scab and pick the scab, oh, right. and you you never get to the point of like, okay, I'm there. <laughs> it happens. And so, and so I I think that for as long as you keep making people laugh. You aren't. You don't ever quite get to the point of going. Oh, right. No, I sucked that cock for the cash. Like yeah. I, I was down at the docks, and for literally half a bag of cold chips, I blew these three guys. I don't think you get to that uh, level I, as a comic. I think you start at that. I think that's the difference. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, because that sounds like a, what that sounds like is like a, uh, that sounds like an old jungler's tryout. That's <laughs> what that sounds like. But it also sounds like the, I'm not going to say any names, but I know a bunch of uh, uh, promoters where that sounds like well, part of the deal. You like have to go okay. and do in the back room of a Midlands pub. You have to do it to no one for three minutes, 18 times, and they never see you. And then they're like well the ne if you do that 18 times you can come in middle for 60 quid and you're like yeah great <laughs> and you're like that's moving up one so you start maybe you start low and then like you start as far as you you debate because you travel into hull for nothing to do five minutes i mean maybe that is right because what you're saying is but I mean top of your game Jerry Seinfeld, let's say, makes a lot of money. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a massive fan of his humor, but he is a very funny guy. He's very successful. Sure. Uh, uh, people won't be subjective, you know? Uh, and uh, Jerry Seinfeld, he is not where we're talking about in your, the, 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 the taking his genitals out to make money. But he might have taken his genitals out to get his first spot because that wouldn't... Yeah. So what? They're just different journeys, buddy. That's all they. They that, pass each other. That, that, that is often how I kind of think sometimes about, um, like, some, like, someone like Phoebe Waller Bridge. Yeah. Where we're all like fully on board. We're like really classy, really funny, truly great. One of the best. Right, everyone's bought in on that. I'm like, what if one day she'd have just gone, I you know, I will give stand up a go. <laughs> oh, she's smart and clever and funny and brilliant, right? She'd have been great. Yeah. And then maybe someone says, I'll pay you. And then she starts hauling her ass up and down the country <laughs> next to no money. Yeah. Working out how to translate how brilliant and smart and clever and funny she is. And basically is dragged down by, yeah. by various clubs <laughs> like her shining brilliance is besmirched by the commercial reality <laughs> of trying to do broadly appealing stand-up comedy that arguably really funny the last thing you need is to get up there and be a stand-up no that's because it. It... just do your own projects this is so this is something i had a big i got a lot of pushback on this a couple of years ago because i there was a point about two, three years ago where I was like, 
the crap gigs that I'm doing are and I don't and I'm and I'm saying crap because they work so you you do it you, you did the circuit so you know there was good gigs that you do and they pay a lot and you'd have a great time and then there were the crap ones that you'd take because you kind of had to they just were there and you had to take them and what's that tuesday yeah tuesday's free right. tuesday's it's always free yes yeah, 100 yeah. quid and i have to drive to plymouth cool i love a seven hour drive on a, on a tuesday love it um yeah. how long do you want me to do oh two and a half hours in an old people's home yes thank you <laughs> yeah. um uh, but yeah so there are crap gigs and but I, there was a point about two three years ago where i if i'd get an where i would have a crap gig instead of having that crap gig like instead of having an empty tuesday i would fill it with a solo show somewhere in the country and i'd just book a like a cafe or something like that like a little tiny room for 25 to 30 people and i'd just do whatever show i was writing at that moment and i'd charge five pound a ticket and it wouldn't matter if it was you know if it was 20 people there I would, and I'd make sure that it was only, it was within an hour or two hours of my home, so it was never like too far. And I live in the Midlands, and so it was like a hundred quid on a Tuesday, which for which is a lot for a Tuesday spot within an hour or two hours of your home. And those gigs led to me doing all of this and streaming and stuff like that, and doing all of my online stuff because I got better for doing that because the bad gigs were making me worse. Like you say, you have to yeah. adapt it. You're not be getting better. You're getting better with dealing with crowds, not writing good stand-up, which is... That's absolutely right. That's yeah. absolutely right. I mean, don't get me wrong. Some of the funniest people I've ever seen in my life have, you know, been part yeah. of the stand-up circuit and stalwarts yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, it's certainly... I, I don't think that... I, I would hate for that point to detract on any level from the achievements of some... No sensationally no. funny people over the <laughs> yeah. years who have absolutely thrived in that environment yeah. but I would largely agree that it, uh, looking back I mean what I find interesting is uh, I read an article not that long ago about you know young people and hearing Bill Hicks for the first time oh, gosh. and the idea yeah. that there's a generation coming up behind me who hear Bill Hicks and think anything other than, oh my God, this man is God. Yeah, yeah. And instead think, yeah, all right, Boomer. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you got, know. I keep having to, I've had this conversation about Bill Hicks, uh, about how you can't look at Bill Hicks now. You have to remember that he led the way, on, a, especially in England. Bill Hicks is very yeah. responsible for our, our alternative circuit over in, here in England. And you have to look at it from the fact that he was first. And the first one is never going to sound right 20, 30 years down the line. You know, no, no one's going to, no, one, no one's going like, so the first surgeon, back to the surgeon analogy, first surgeon, uh, he was the best. <laughs> it's not that he's yeah. the way, you're standing on the shoulder of giants is what you're doing when you, when you, when you, yeah. Carl in a yeah I guess that's true but I still I, I mean don't get me wrong there's definitely bits of his material that are dated but then I but okay but this is the problem right or this is one of many problems but somewhat the problem is that then I remember back to my dad when I was having a go at him in the 90s right. about liking um I don't know Jimmy Jones or um Mike Reed I mean, my dad was yeah. never really into uh, uh, Roy Chubby Brown or anything like that. But, you know, a lot of those like, old-fashioned comics who, mm. you know, these three nuns walk into a pub. You know, he, it was... My dad loved jokes, like old, barry, boozy, hoary jokes. Yeah. Um, I say hoary there, H-O-A-R-Y. Just, <laughs> <even alone. laughs> Just to clarify. I'm getting shit for that. It was really, really clear. <laughs> um, but my, my dad would say, absolutely, like, the people telling those jokes, like the Englishman, Irishman, Scotsman jokes, or, you know, three Pakistanis or <laughs> whatever he said, yeah. my dad would say to me, you know, don't get me wrong, there were blokes telling them who were awful racists, terrible, awful racists. But there were a lot of people who heard those jokes and didn't it didn't fill their hearts with hate towards those communities. 
It was that they were new here and we didn't really know how to respond, but it didn't increase hate or stir up division. If, if anything, it was some people's first exposure to an idea of like, oh, they're here, are they? Right. And now, I'm not, again, I really, really need to be very clear. <laughs> I am not saying this is fine or it was okay, but all I mean is it having these conversations about somebody like Bill Hicks yeah. suddenly makes me a bit reminiscent of my dad saying some very similar things yeah, yeah. about how generationally you know it was different and things shifted and you don't hear yeah. it with quite the same ears and the world wasn't quite the same place um but and it, your dad yeah, had those conversations with you and he's saying he's hearing the world with different ears that's a great sign that's a progress he's you know he's he heard if he's listening to it he's hearing it at the time he's laughing because at the time that was the world he's hearing it 20 years later and he's like actually that's not quite acceptable anymore then that's progress that's progress in the world and we like that same as like with hicks hicks was great at the time and then and, and I, I agree i still think a lot of his stuff great but again i think that it's because i heard it you know way, way back then and so i can apply it whereas now if i listen to it now for the first time with all of the knowledge i have now i'd be like whoa whoa dude <laughs> Whoa, but you know, I've known even Carlin, Carlin, and he was way more politically correct than Bill Hicks. But even Carlin, you listen back to Carlin and you think, yeah, fantastic, fantastic stand up. But then you, if you were to listen to it now, you'd never heard it before, you'd be like, yeah, mate, you just need to just, you're almost there. You're almost there. <laughs> you, you, you've got enough. Imagine the right like idea. the audacity yeah. to George Carlin, like, Close, man. Close. close. So close. <laughs> imagine that. Imagine the arrogance. It's George, mate. Uh, as he comes off the stage from the arena. Some notes. <laughs> Some notes, George. <laughs> you're in the cell next to him after he's been arrested for, uh, what was it he was arrested for? Blasphemy. And you're in <laughs> uh, swearing. It was for swearing, wasn't it, on stage? Yeah. Uh, I've realised we we're over an hour now. This is, we normally only do these for 45 minutes. Um, so, and you've got a life and uh and we've seen some so of it, um in the background uh, <laughs> which is really good um i so thank you very much oh, we'll say thank you R rufus is there anything you want to point people towards in your own career at the moment is there a project you're working on that you want to tell everyone about or anything not really not really just go find you on twitter <laughs> go find you on yeah. twitter. Even, even then i would probably ignore me i mean you know <laughs> I'm just going to put underneath. It's, I'm not even going to put your website. I'm just going to put his Rufus Hound. Google him. That's all I'm going to put. Yeah. <laughs> at the at, at the point where things really do come back and there is actual work, then I'll be able to tell you about things. But until that point, we'll edit it. <sighs> we'll, we'll edit it. It'll just be. We'll be like ten years from now, both of us very different coloured hair. <laughs> just at the end, <laughs> edited on to it. Ah <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. I'm doing a project. Truly. <laughs> <laughs> I've, st yes. I've started a podcast. Thank God we held on to that in mind. Because <laughs> now EPG attack in late 2022, and we finally put the second half of this podcast finally. together. I had to strip all the cobalt out of all of the mobile phones I found <laughs> in the last radioactive dump. Uh, but we're there. Yeah. Transmit to Huzzah. our roach overlords. <laughs> Um, well, look, let me know how your uh, listeners feel about this chat. I think that they will let themselves know, but I think I, this has been a great. Thank you very much for being on here. Uh, no, but if, if, this was, uh, if, if this was useful, then uh, uh, I'll, I'll come back and we'll just talk more shit not on the topic of mental health, shall we? Yeah, well, probably. Let's, we could do that. We could do that anyway. There's always a chance to do things like that. Uh, I'm just gonna, right, let me. I just say thank you very much to everyone. Thank you very much for coming uh, and listening to me and Rufus get off topic on many different ways. Uh, we'll be back next week with more Mental Health Bar. Thank you very much.